The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami. Tim Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. It's a little hot in here, but we got the sound good. We're going to I'm going to gut through this, and super glad to have on as my guest. Uh, he's been on before. Uh, you know him, ESPN senior writer, author, uh, and just someone who knows the NFL just so very, very well. The higher, the high, high stories, the really interesting stories in the NFL. It's Seth Wickersham. Seth, how are you doing today? I mean, I'm really good. I have to say that I might have a hard time making it through this without crying from laughing so hard at your little Nelly impression there. <laughs> My Nelly impression? Uh, it's, it's, it's unconscious if I did it, but that's okay. I'm glad that uh, I'm connecting in some way. I uh, want well, to make sure that your, your very excellent book, I've read this book. I couldn't wait to read it. Uh, it's better to be feared i'm going to be like no one this is not a video thing but i'm going to be like a letterman and here's my copy of the book i, I read it every page of it the, the kind of the chronicling of the patriots dynasty the kind of the, the way they put together brady and belichick and the way it unraveled it is coming it is out in paperback so everyone go out there if you haven't got it i guess there's a new chapter to it seth have you updated this book because there's been a few things have gone on since since this book came out Right. I mean, it, it seems like an entire world has passed since, you know, Brady almost led the Bucks or almost led the Bucks to a comeback against the Rams there in the playoffs. But yep. yeah, I've updated it. You know, I wrote a lot about that meeting between Brady and Belichick um, back in October. I thought that was one of the best football games I'd ever seen because we just hardly ever get to see two minds like that. Two of the most resourceful, you know, sports figures we've seen in recent history go at it like that, getting a glimpse of what Patriots practices were like after all those years. Yeah. And obviously I get into Brady's, you know, month long retirement, what got, what led to that and, you know, sort of where we are. And, you know, the, the book about the Patriots is really, in my opinion, what I set out to do was just bring readers as best I could a glimpse at what were the things that led to their greatness, their unparalleled greatness, really, and what were the costs of it. And interestingly enough, the 49ers end up making a couple cameos, as oh, we know. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, with Jimmy Garoppolo, there's, you know, that that was quite, you know, the the moment back in 2017. So, um, you know, there's some local interest. And obviously, with Brady leaving, leaving New England in 2020 and, and taking a hard look at the 49ers, and then even all the rumors and speculation that, you know, when he retired this year, he might try to figure out a way to force himself to the 49ers. So um, there's always that. There's always a local angle. Always a local angle. I just joke with myself because for some reason I got in my head that your book was called No Country for Old Men. And it just sticks in my head. So I literally had to look down to make sure I didn't say that again. And it just seems to fit the kind of characters of Belichick and Brady. I'll just We're going to talk 49ers. Everyone, don't worry. Seth and I are going to talk 49ers. That is going to happen. But the Patriots stuff, the, the Belichick and Brady stuff just continues on and on. Belichick going out, going without an offensive coordinator in title, 
Uh, Matt Patricia is calling plays, it seems like. Belichick's being very stubborn about this. Now, reading this book, I got the sense, you can tell me if this is not what you intended, that of the two, Belichick is maybe the more normal human being, and Brady's this maniac. I, I don't know. Maybe I, I interpret over the Belichick seemed to, he had his weirdness, no question. But he seemed to be a little more, I don't know, level-headed, uh, given that Brady's just insane. I don't know. Insane. No, you wouldn't say that. So this this stubbornness not to not to bring in an offensive coordinator after you lose Josh McDaniel, obviously who was incredible for years and, and, and a great partner with with Belichick, that doesn't surprise you. And this this is kind of fitting the Belichick mindset. It absolutely doesn't surprise me. Plus, I think that they're kind of you know I think they're two very Brady and Belichick are two very different personalities. But you know, one of them is the product of a big family who was, you know, needed to jockey for attention. The other one was an only child, you know, the son of a coach who, but, you know, their, their intensity, you know, quasi insanity, neuroses and discipline are all the things that they kind of have in common. And it didn't surprise me at all that Bill um, wouldn't name an offensive coordinator this year. You know, I mean, I think the year was 1995 in Cleveland he had 15 coaches on his staff then and no offensive coordinator. And if you go back and you look at his quotes about what he was saying, justifying that decision, they're almost exactly wow. what he says now. And, you know, all the coaches pitch in, we know how to coach offense. I'm ultimately responsible. Um, you know, he has, he's someone who's been fascinated with the offensive side of the ball for a long time, really since 1977, when he was with the Giants, he obviously had to defend against so many brilliant offensive minds from Bill Walsh to Joe Gibbs to Ron Earhart on the Giants and even Don Shula and Dan Reeves, a lot of these guys who just ran very complicated offenses with great quarterbacks. And he, he stole from them and kind of compiled his own playbook that was a – its only ideology was its lack of ideology. And he called some offensive plays when he was with the Browns. When Charlie Weiss had that surgery that he almost died from in 2002, if Charlie Weiss couldn't have come back as New England's offensive coordinator, Belichick probably would have called offensive plays. So he's had this in him for a while. All that said, yes, he presided over the 2007 Patriots. He's presided over some fantastic offenses. Nobody <laughs> is talking about all those great offenses from the mid-90s Cleveland Browns. <laughs> so the jury is out whether this is going to work, even though it's consistent both in personality and situation and circumstance. It's just interesting because, you know, again, your book documents, and we know since the trade at least that Belichick has a great fondness for Mike Shanahan. And in oh, some yeah. ways, that's, that, yeah, that's trickled over to Kyle. I think he has a separate amount of respect for Kyle, but certainly he really likes that family. I think he's always thought coaching against Mike was kind of at the highest level. So he's got this respect for these, you know, total definition of offensive schematic guys, right? That's the Shanahan family. And we can go through that whole, you know, the tree of the Shanahan family. And yet he goes into a season with a second year quarterback without an offensive coordinator. That just, that is ironic to me. And I don't know if that's the exact definition of that word, but that is this, this, wait a minute, you respect the Shanahans, wouldn't you think you got to get a, a younger Shanahan person kind of and, and run your offense? Well, not only that, he's trying, you know, a lot of it, it's not just that he doesn't have a coordinator, it's that they're trying to change the offense, you know, mm -hmm. take some of what they used to do under Josh McDaniels and add a lot of the stuff from Mike Shanahan. Mm -hmm. Remember, I mean, Mike Shanahan just had fabulous success against Belichick over the years, often with, you know, Jake Plummer and Danny Cannell, 
as his quarterbacks when, when, you know, Belichick was coaching those Super Bowl champion teams with loaded defenses. And they ran elements of the Shanahan running game in New England. They've been doing that for a long time, but they were never able to do the bootleg off of it. And I think that now that Mac Jones, nobody's going to confuse him, his mobility with Trey Lance's obviously, but they, you know, he's more mobile than maybe Brady was at age 40 in New England. And, you know, that's the thing that they want to run. And especially if you read a lot of the reports coming out of New England, the coaches who, who coached against him in some of the preseason practices and in the preseason games, writers like Greg Bedard, who I think are just some of the smartest football writers out there, this stuff that they're trying to implement from Mike Shanahan and some of the stuff that Kyle uses is some of the stuff that's worked so spectacularly horribly that they honestly can't believe that they're continuing to try to mm. do it, that they continue to try to do it even late into the preseason. Uh, that's just another kind of glancing look at the respect he's got for the Shanahan offense. Again, we can go on and on and on about this, and I don't want to, because we're going to talk 49ers, and that's a little 49ers, but I, I want to get back to that moment. It, it, it's such an interesting moment within all these different 49ers quarterback moments with, with Shanahan. You come off the 2019 Super Bowl, you don't win, but it's a pretty goddamn good year. Jimmy Garoppolo played very well that season, you know, less so in other moments, particularly in the end of the, four, uh, the fourth quarter mm-hmm. of the Super Bowl. But Tom Brady's interested in coming forward. Like, I mean, that's a fact, right? I mean, we know this. I have not heard any denials from anybody who, who would know, uh, and it's certainly indications that the 49ers were given, like, hey, Tom Brady wants to come. Uh, can you shed any details on that? Or were you surprised the 49ers wouldn't make that move? Now, again, you've got a 27-year-old Garoppolo at that point, or 28-year-old. Okay, so you're talking, about, you're talking about 2020. Yeah, so we got 2019, okay. get to the Super Bowl, lose 2020 Super Bowl. Yes. Then Tom Brady, that's what my understanding is. Tom Brady gives them an indication that he would like to come. What do you know about that? Uh, do you think it was a really close call for Shanahan and John Lynch? And would you think that they're really regretting it right now? I mean, I think they had to have regretted it. But I will say this, is that the two people on this earth who should have known better than to ever underestimate Tom Brady are Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft. And yet they did just that. And as horrific as that move has turned out to be, it's not like it's haunting the franchise and they haven't recovered, but they had, they played together. They were get together for so long that they could have seen this coming. And it's been well-documented that Robert Kraft wanted Tom Brady to you know walk off the field as a new england patriot but ultimately he went with bill and the writing was on the wall for that move in august of 2019 he agrees to a contract quote-unquote extension which really wasn't and 48 hours after that he and giselle Bunchen put their house on the market in boston so he knows he's gone but that season plays out they get bounced in the first game of the playoffs by the tennessee titans and there must have been something about Brady's tape from 2019 that just really freaked out a lot of really smart offensive minds because not only did the Patriots open the door for Brady to leave, obviously the 49ers took a hard look at him. Shanahan was, you know, on vacation in Cabo, instructs all of his coaches to watch every, all of his offensive coaches to watch every snap of Tom Brady. Ultimately, they decide to stick it out with Jimmy. And now we know that John Gruden probably could have had Brady himself and personally vetoed it. So we're looking at some minds that, you know, are some of the better offensive minds around the league who obviously saw something about Brady that they just thought it wasn't quite worth it. And so I I think that like, while 
I'm sure that Kyle Shanahan, and ultimately this is, you know, any move that's made at the quarterback position in San Francisco is a Kyle Shanahan decision. I think he would love to have that decision back, but he wasn't alone in looking at, well, how old was he then? 42-year-old Tom Brady and, you know, thinking that maybe he should stick it out with the guy who's popular in the locker room in what? 17 years younger is that 15 years younger yeah yep. so uh, we, we've talked about this uh, you know this the, the garoppolo brady relationship is interesting we all know that they have the same agent on ye yeah. uh did they like each other did you see some kind of parallels between those two guys personally and, and maybe even as a quarterback no i think they're really different personalities i think that you know i think they did like each other i think they were friends but it was awkward. And Brady's kind of acknowledged that, you know, he was asked about a comparison between, you know, Montana and Steve Young and, and, you know, how Steve Young just kind of annoyed Montana because his presence was there. And, you know, Brady, you know, agreed with that parallel. I think that, um, and again, it is kind of funny how, you know, the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo end up playing this kind of this major part in, in the, the Patriots dynasty. And, you know, Belichick was just very invested in Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think he wanted the same type of thing that um, Kyle wanted when he drafted Trey Lance, he, you know, he wanted his guy, he wanted to develop his guy. And he had done some statistics that showed how quarterbacks started to break down at the age that Tom Brady was when they drafted him. And Remember, I mean, Belichick, somebody who never lets a word out of his mouth that he hasn't thought about or considered or planned, said during the 2016 season, when Brady was suspended the first four games of the season, he was asked a question about Brady's longevity, his astounding longevity, and he managed to turn it into a compliment about Jimmy Garoppolo. He <laughs> said that when we've seen Jimmy in the offense, the transition is quote unquote seamless. Imagine that word, you know, that Belichick would use that word. Um, yeah, Garoppolo did kind of just represent this, this interesting figure. And I always go back to that game that the Patriots played in the playoffs against the Baltimore Ravens, where they unveiled that that formation, um, the, the, the displaced offensive lineman that ended up confusing the Ravens, getting the Patriots back in that game. And then they go on to win the Super Bowl and kind of restart their dynasty. I mean, if they didn't have those plays in their back pocket and they don't come back against the Ravens and they lose again in the first round of the playoffs, is Tom Brady even back the next year? Is Jimmy Garoppolo, the, the, the new England Patriots starting quarterback entering the 2015 season? Um, you know, I think there's some big questions. I mean, at that point, they would have gone 10 years without a championship and you had Brady talking about playing forever. And it would have been interesting to see if they had, if they had lost that game, what had happened? Obviously they didn't. Jimmy ends up as a 49er with a little push from Robert Kraft. And, you know, here, here he is still a 49er all these years later. Amazingly. We'll skip over some years of the Garoppolo 49ers quarterback situation, but we get to now where, uh, uh, were you as surprised as anybody just watching that Garoppolo suddenly goes from he's out, he's moving out, we're going to try to find another team, he gets his own deal, to now he's the backup quarterback for Trey Lance, everything's fine, let's go everybody, nothing to see here. Just, just that, that whole development, how did that strike you? Yeah, it was unconventional, but I guess as the season went on, or as the preseason went on, it was just so obvious that there was no market for him. And 
I think that he also, you know, like I said, Jimmy is different than Tom Brady, but he can be shrewd. And I think that he sees that this is a place where he can not only be useful, but possibly have a chance to get on the field and win. And, you know, I know that very intelligent people have written and, and commented that, you know, it's a reflection of Trey Lance. And I guess we'll see whether that's true. I, you know, I truly don't know. Um, it's a little reflection of their view of Trey Lance. Like a little, again, it's all percentages. It's all, if they loved Trey Lance, I'll just interject here as, mm-hmm. as the, as the host, unfortunately, they wouldn't do this. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, the, the little bit of, Hmm, you know, and, and they could say it, maybe he's not ready entirely. We need to see a little bit more, uh, but you don't do this. Hey, what, you know, Belich- it was different personalities, but as soon as Max Jones is started in new England, Cam Newton's gone, right? I mean, there there are parallels where you when the the young quarterback is the guy, you get rid of anybody who started games beforehand, just a little bit. Again, we can see why, but um, knowing what you know about Kyle Shanahan, do you think he's going to have the patience to like ride out Trey Lance? He puts three bad games in a row. It, it, do, would you say okay, start watching this, or do you think there's going to be a pretty long leeway here for that quarterback? I think there'll be a long leeway, but I guess it just depends on, you know, the quality of the performance. I mean, you know, it is interesting that the preseason kicks off. I think that our friend Peter King was in San Francisco pretty early. And the first thing that Kyle is saying is, you know, we have to remember how little body of work Trey Lance has and how green he is. And we have to be patient and keep in mind that. And then, you know, they signed Jimmy and, you know, Peter writes this week that, he predicts that by game seven, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo is the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, you know, that guy with the, I mean, come on now, <laughs> not Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, what a torturous path. I mean, if, if Kyle has to make that call this year, cause it's like, you know, you go back to, you know, his first season and um, you know, the plan all along was to go after Kirk cousins. Sure. And then, Belichick doesn't want to let go of Jimmy Garoppolo, but, you know, has to craft is pushing him. Jimmy won't agree to a contract extension surprises everybody, including Kyle Shanahan and including Tom Brady by trading Jimmy across the country. Kyle ends up, you know, Jimmy ends up winning all of the starts, gets that huge contract, has some injury seasons. Kyle starts to doubt him. And, um, you know, even though he doubted him, you know, after that Super Bowl, they you know against um, against the Chiefs that odd playoff run, he's still with Jimmy. Then after the 2020 season, which was just a mess, you know they trade a huge amount of money <laughs> to go and get the third best quarterback in the draft, um, and then sit the guy a year, almost go to the Super Bowl with Jimmy again, publicly declare that it's Trey's team. Lo and behold. What is it? 10 days before the season starts, two weeks before the season starts, Jimmy's back in the 49ers. This is why coaches go. This is why coaches go insane. This is why they go insane. This is why Sean McVay did everything he could to get Matthew Stafford and keep him from becoming a San Francisco 49er, because that position 
we say it's, it's a quarterback driven league and that almost undersells it. I mean, that position is so important and it's the difference in so many games and so many legacies. All right, Matthew Stafford. I mean, Kyle's talked a little bit about it, like, hey, would have liked to have had a shot at that. Some version of off the cuff Kyle there, which we like off the cuff Kyle, by the way. We really do like off the cuff it Kyle. Is, it is a good version of Kyle. <laughs> uh, were the 49ers in on Matthew Stafford? I mean, I would have think that's the guy that, that Shanahan would, would have really liked to have. Well, Kyle was in Cabo. Of course, now we know that Cabo is, is secretly the epicenter of all NFL no and shakers no. in power. You can pretty much predict any NFL season by what happens in January in Cabo, right? <laughs> yes. So, I want to be to, I want to be in Cabo in January, know, by the way. You gotta stop going to the combine in Indianapolis <laughs> in February and said go to the go to Cabo in January. But Kyle was down there, he left his phone. For one night, he wanted to go out with Mandy, have, you know, the season had ended, it had been a hard season, obviously a lot of questions, and they knew they had to figure out a way to try to upgrade a quarterback. One night, he leaves his phone and goes out with Mandy and comes back to all these text messages saying, if you went in on Stafford, you got to get in now. And by now, we mean this minute, not in an hour. I don't know whether the 49ers ever would have had a chance. I mean, I think that like, you know, Matthew and Sean ended up bonding. I spent a lot of time with Sean this past off season and, um, you know, for a long profile that came out maybe 10 days ago and readers can go there and read Sean McVay's exact language that he told Rams brass um, for making the argument of why they had to trade for Matthew, uh, he was a couple tequilas in. I actually have it here. <laughs> yeah, let's go. I want to hear this. Are we, are we allowed to swear on this one? Yes. I was encouraged. All right. So here we go. He hangs out with Matthew Stafford at the pool. And he goes back to his room and he FaceTimes with Rams Brass. And McVeigh told me he was a few tequilas in. Of course, this is the exact time that Kyle is out with Mandy enjoying one normal night <laughs> in the entire year. And uh, this is now legendary around the Rams offices, but McVeigh goes, here's the fucking deal. Okay. We can sit here and exist and be okay. Winning nine to 11 games and losing in the fucking divisional round and feel like, Oh, everything's okay. Or we can, <laughs> we can let our motherfucking nuts hang and go trade for this fucking quarterback and give ourselves a chance to go win a fucking world championship. Are you ready to fucking do this or what? <laughs> within hours Stafford was a Ram. So I don't know whether the yeah. 49ers ever would have had a chance at him, but again, it's like, look at what Kyle was facing there. He had had doubts about Jimmy, the Rams and, a, you know, a head coach and an offensive mind that he obviously respects gets Stafford Seahawks have Russell and the Cardinals have Murray who, you know, is it was always seemed to be a tough guy for the 49ers yeah. to play against, even if other teams you know, had, had success against him. And, you know, it's no wonder that he traded all of that capital to get the third quarterback in the draft. Yeah. And gave himself options beyond that. This is that we could go on and on, but yet I, I can hear Kyle saying exactly what you just read, by the way, and, and might have with a few more extra little words in there, right. uh, because I think he found himself in a very similar position. And I'll just say, I, I don't know that they could have got in it for sure, because I think, Part of that deal was Detroit kind of like Goff. Not loved him, but that was part like that. Wasn't that yeah. part like they wanted a young quarterback? They wouldn't have wanted Garoppolo, I don't believe, in the same way. It just 
felt like that was the Rams had a little bit of an edge, and the Rams were going to throw in more first round picks than the 49ers. So I just, we, I think that's that's just what was going to happen. And it was completely dispiriting, I think, for a lot of teams in the division. And I would put the 49ers in this because they were counting on the Rams being hampered with that Goff contract. <laughs> yep. The fact that Goff was a mediocre quarterback. I mean, that was going to hold the Rams back on two fronts and give other teams the edge. And then with one move, they were not able, they were not only able to get rid of that problem, but they were able to upgrade to, you know, a top six, top five quarterback. Yep. Uh, we're running a little over. I want to ask one question. You know that the, the higher levels of this league better than anybody. You and Don Manette have written some incredible stuff from owners' meetings, and the details are just I, – I do read these details. I go, how do they get these details? This is just amazing. I actually went back and read your Harbaugh piece when you were throwing the ball with them, and <laughs> the stuff in there is still – like this is, what, six years old, seven years old, and the stuff in there is more than that, ten years old, is, is just unbelievable. Anyway, so I'll stop complimenting you. But where do you what do you think Jed York's position in the league is right now? Obviously, still one of the younger owners. He's been in for a while, but I don't see him in any of the big you know big committees. I don't see him like speaking for the league. In fact, sometimes I feel like he's kind of separate. He's he's you know voting on things differently. Uh, where do you see his place in the league right now? Yeah, I think that he votes differently. Remember, he was the only people in uh, what was it spring of two thousand eighteen when the league adopted a new rule about kneeling. Jed York and Mark Davis were the only ones to abstain. And so I think that the old guard of ownership is still there. I mean, it, and, you know, it's slow to move. I mean, I think that like the, the people who can really be persuasive um, among the owners who can be persuaded, I don't think that's changed much. But I do think that when you look at someone like Jed, you have someone who, yeah, he's been unafraid to speak his mind in a lot of those meetings. And a lot of owners are afraid to speak their minds or a lot of them just don't care. And I think that owners are, are all, you know, we all know that they're all crazy in their own way, but you've basically got, you know, a group of maybe 10 to 12 of them who really, really care. And then you've got another group of 10 or so who nominal, nominally care and, you know, usually vote with the crowd. And then you've got a separate group of people who just don't really care and they just show up. And Jed is definitely in the group that cares and gets into the weeds on these issues. And I think that when you start to see some of the, the power brokers now that have been power brokers for a long time, um, you know, start to move on and, and maybe hand the teams to their kids, I think that you'll see Jed York's stature rise up because, um, you know, again, we all think that owners just because you don't a team means that you um, are so invested and care so much and are so committed to the future success of the NFL and in the weeds on all of these big decisions when really it isn't that many of them. And I think that Jed's one of those people who has cared and he's cared for a long time and I, and people respect him because of that you think he can yeah i mean you got the kind of the younger i still think of maybe because i'm old i still kind of think of them as some of the younger owners jeffrey lurie steve right. ross steve buscott right. these but, younger guys yeah, they're like that 60 young. yeah they're six in their 60s right and uh we think of it, jonathan Kraft is like 45 years old he's definitely not <laughs> <laughs> that and jerry jones is like you know new wave and he's 75 yeah. or whatever he is but yeah. it is is Jed on the path to becoming a guy that could, whose voice really matters in this league? 
I think so. I, I, I really do. I mean, I think that like, look, they've got media deals locked up for a long time. They've got a CBA locked up for a long time. The issues that are going to come up around the league, um, you know, aren't going to be these huge financial ones that, that, you know, are really the ones that, that are their North stars. But I do think that, again, as we cycle through some of the older owners and some of the, the ones who have been waiting in the wings a little bit rise into prominence and those deals come up again, I would be shocked if someone like Jed York is not deeply in the weeds in those negotiations. All right, Seth, we've taken a lot of time. I will end this with a version of question I ask everybody, and maybe a version of question I've asked you before, I don't know, but we'll get a little specific on this one. Seth Wickersham, what's your favorite movie that you've seen of the last 10 years? Okay, all right. I think I can, I can answer this one because I blew it the last time. The last time I think you asked me about restaurants, and I, mm-hmm. I, I gave a fumbling and nonsensical <laughs> answer. I will say this. The top, the second Top Gun movie, the Top Gun sequel, yeah. is like a perfect movie. Have wow. you seen it? I have not seen it, but I mean, I've heard good things about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You enter the theater and you are just so expected to be underwhelmed or to laugh out loud at something, at it trying to be something that it just cannot be. And it actually might be a perfect movie. I cried twice. I can't wow. believe it. But wow. there's two moments where I cried twice. I loved the second Top Gun. That is an unexpected answer, Seth. I appreciate those. Uh, I have heard good stuff. I've not heard a rave like that but from, from Seth. So <laughs> I like it. I, I wasn't uh, even really a fan of the first one. Yeah. But it's just so good. It's such a good movie. I did like the first one. I, for some reason, that just yeah, it's that certain age when I I think I was in high school. I don't even remember. It was it was like a long time ago. I, I wasn't in high school, but it was it was a long time ago, and it just feels like that was a moment in my life that 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 movie just hit nicely. The other one for that is Purple Rain. I don't know those two movies. I think <laughs> that maybe they're very separate, but they just hit me in a place where like I did not think I was going to feel like this way about this movie, and it really hit me. You didn't ask me that question. I just said it anyway, uh, and. I appreciate a very interesting answer. Maverick, I think it's right. Maverick is what that movie's name is uh, and the Top Gun sequel. Excellent, Seth. I thank you so much. Great conversation. There's so many different ways that your reporting has been illuminative about what's going on with certainly the NFL, certainly the Patriots, but the 49ers too. And I always like having you on. I always appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Seth. Thank you, man. Everybody, that's the show for today. 